ran, ran back up to Dixon's, went into Dixon's, went into the aisle where the TVs were, looked down the aisle, and they're not there. I thought, oh, no. They've got bored with watching the TVs, football scores, whatever it is, and they've decided to walk back down to Debenhams after me. So I run all the way back down to Debenhams, back down to the counter. You haven't, you know, two boys haven't, you haven't seen two boys, have you, about this biggest? One was about ten, the other about six. Uh, no, no, no. So then I run all the way back up to Dixon's. And as I'm running up to Dixon's, I am now, I'm looking around as I'm running, you know, are they on this side of the street, that side of the street? Would they have gone back to the bus, you know, not, it wasn't to the bus where we parked the car? Where are they? And I'm beginning to get really worried, I'm beginning to get really worried because I know how on earth am I going to explain this to Kim that I've lost the two boys in Taunton? And, and, and she's going to kill me, you know, literally, probably. And, and, of course, I had some concern for the boys as well, but I'm sure <laughs> there was a real concern for my own safety in this situation. Anyway, I go into Dixon's and I look down the aisle and they're not there. So then I go out of the shop and I walk in the opposite direction back towards the car park in case they've gotten that way. Can't find them. Come all the way back to the Dixon's. I go into Dixon's and I look down the TV aisle and they're not there. And I thought, well, I'll just go down into Dixon's itself and ask at the counter if they've seen two little boys. And as I go down the aisle with the TVs in, as I, I stop where I'd left them and I look up at the TVs and a voice says, Dad, can you get out of the way? We can't see the TV. And I turn around, and there behind, there's a gap between the fridge freezers. And they have gone and gone into the gap between the fridge freezers, and that's where they're sitting quite happily. No one can tread on them there or whatever else. And I say, and I'm, you know, steam is coming out of my ears, and I say, what are you doing? And they say, what do you mean what we're doing? We're doing what you told us to, Dad. We're staying here watching the TV. That's what you told us to do. And, of course, it exactly was what I told them to do. And, um, and a bit, <laughs> you, can, you can sense something of that, can't you, in this, in this, in this incident that Martin has read to us. The, that the exasperation, no doubt the relief as they find Jesus, missing for three days, you know, they've traveled a whole day in this sort of caravan of people, this sort of pilgrimage back, back home, traveled a whole day from Jerusalem. It's only at the end of the day they realize he's not with them. So they spend another day traveling back to Jerusalem, and then I don't know how much they had to look in Jerusalem before they found him in the temple, a 12-year-old lad. You can, and that frustration. Your father and I have been looking everywhere for you. We've gone half crazy looking for you. And Jesus says, effectively, why? Didn't you expect me to be here? Isn't this the place I ought to be? My father's house? And they didn't understand. I'm not sure we would have understood either. It's a really interesting story, isn't it? This is the only incident we have in the, in the, in the scriptures of Jesus as a boy growing up. Why tell this one? Why Luke? Why have you chosen this one? I mean, Luke, James was the brother of Jesus, was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He'd have known lots of stories about Jesus growing up. Why, why this one? Well, it is a wonderful, it, it, it's a wonderful story in many ways, isn't it? And um, 
I guess the very fact that they lost a child for three days would have stuck in their, in their memory and um, uh, it's very significant. It's a key time for Jesus. He's 12 years old. He's coming up to 13 when at the age of 13, uh, boys in Jewish boys assume their full place within the religious community. Very key time in life. Um, the fact that he had that knowledge, that understanding that he could sit there and discuss with these teachers things that, were, that they find astonishing, well, those could be all reasons why this incident is in cover, uh, uh, included. Let's just look, though, at the verses that sandwich this, because I think within those verses, we have a f- perhaps a fuller reason why this incident is included. Right at the beginning, uh, verse 39 and 40, we, we see Jesus, uh, uh, after, after the incident we read about last week, after the time we read about last week, when Simeon and Anna... Uh, recognize who this baby is, eight, years, eight days old, this baby, and they recognize who he was. I hope you were challenged last week, by the way. Spirit-filled, old people, but spirit-filled. And that God had such a wonderful purpose and role for them right at the end of their lives. I hope we want to be like Simeon and Anna. Hmm? hope we want to go out well. hope we want to finish strong. I hope we want to keep growing and maturing. I hope we want to be the sort of people that when people look at us, they think, wow, look at them. Look at God working in them, living in them. I hope you were challenged last week, because I certainly was, and challenged to say, God, I need, I need you to do more in my life. Anyway, so they, they, they leave the temple and they return to Nazareth, don't they? And it says... In uh, verse 40, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And then at the end of this incident, when they'd lost him and find him in the temple, it says, then he went down to Nazareth with them, back to this small backwater town in Galilee. And, it was, and he was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And it says, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So before the incident, it says, the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. And afterwards it says, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Growing in wisdom and grace. Jesus grows up. He grows up physically. We read of the baby in uh, chapter 1, verse 16. We read of the little boy, or child, as it's it's translated in NIV, in verse 40. And we read of the boy in verse 43. Jesus is growing up physically, that process of physical growth. He's growing up emotionally. He's growing in independence. He's growing growing as people should grow. We grow, our children are ours just to become independent from us. That's the whole point of parenthood, isn't it? To prepare them for independence. And Jesus is growing independent as as we see in the right 
although these parents couldn't quite understand how that was working out in this incident. Growing intellectually, his understanding was growing. He could ask those questions, he could discuss those things with the, with the teachers in the temple. He was growing relationally. He was growing in favor with God and with men. Back in Nazareth, guys liked Jesus. Guys liked him, respected him. They engaged with him. They enjoyed playing with him, doing stuff with him. Because he was a nice guy. And we all like nice guys, don't we? If you want to get on with people, be kind and nice. They're the sort of people that people want to connect with. And Jesus grew relationally, kind and gracious. And, uh, and last of all, but not last of all, because this one really embraces all of the others. He was growing spiritually. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. This guy was growing up God's way. Jesus was growing up God's way. And that way meant that he would grow in all of these ways, because you see they're all connected. They're not separate things, as we sometimes pitch them. He's growing up in all these ways. There is a wholeness about him, which is God's way of growth. As I read recently, we are not human beings who have a spiritual experience. We are created as spiritual beings who have a human experience. Sometimes we get that the wrong way around. We are spiritual beings. That's how God has made us, having a human experience. And God has a plan, had a plan for his son Jesus and he has a plan for each and every one of us. Do you know what we learn from this passage? We learn that this is the way God intends all of us to grow. This wasn't just for Jesus. This is God's pattern for all people. I'm going to read just a bit more than that. I've just put the end up. This is a well-known passage, but I deliberately read it from the message because it comes across with an immediacy. Let me read these verses. You see, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the onset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The Son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. You see, God has a plan for us. God has a plan for us to be like Jesus. And I don't mean by that to be divine. I don't mean to be little gods. But God has a plan for us to be like Jesus because he, Jesus was truly human. He was the true human being. The real human being that God intended all human beings to be like. And that's his plan for us. Is that's, that his shape should be our shape. 
the way he lived, the way he is, is the way we are to be. How can that be? I mean, it's absolutely amazing, isn't it? We, we say these things very easily. But God intends you to be like the human being that Jesus Christ was. No less than that. That is clear, and we could look at many scriptures that point and tell us that. That is God's plan for me, for me, me, to be like Jesus Christ. It's God's plan for you women as well. This is not just a man thing. God's plan for you ladies to be the person that Jesus Christ was. That's his plan. No less than that. It's as great and as big as that. How can that be? Well, it's a complete transformation, isn't it? And we need something, if we're going to start that process, we need something that Jesus didn't need. (laughs) And that's the new birth. You see, because I've got a physical father. But Jesus' father was God himself. And we need a new birth. We need a new start. A new beginning. And then having begun, we have a process. You see... How does it happen? Does this happen all at once that we become like the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, no, it doesn't, does it? We know that. We can see that. It doesn't happen like that. We can't plug into a download. Great, wouldn't it? You could go to bed at night, plug yourself in to God, and in the morning, you're there. It's all done. You've grown up. You're now the complete human being that God intended you to be. But that's not God's way. It's not God's way in nature or anything else. God is a God of process. Right? How does it happen? Does God do it all? You know, that's how some Christians think. They think that God does it all. That all they've got to do is somehow plug in, as it were, and they might not use it, but they think in terms of things like being zapped, and then it all happens. And somehow then they are filled with God's Spirit and it's all sorted. Now, there's a truth there. Some people think, some Christians think that they've got to do it all. That if they come to church on Sundays and they read his word and they pray and they try as hard as they can, then they will become like the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a truth in there. But neither of them are true on their own. You see, God's way is that God works to grow us, to turn us, to change us into the life like to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. But we also have a part to play. Kim and uh, I think Vanessa and anyone else has done the spiritual formation. Natasha, rather, did you do spiritual formation at Max. You might remember this. This is her little illustration. You see, you need the wind to sail. I'm not a sailor. I'm be scared of sailing. I don't want to go on a boat like that. I can just about go out a little way out to go fishing, but I don't want to go out there on a sailing boat. But to sail, you need the wind. But you can have all the wind you like. 
If the sail is not hoisted, it won't make a scrap of difference. And who, who holds the rope to hoist the sail? You do. I do. We do. Because that's the way God has made us. God is in the process of transformation. That is his part. Our part is to yield. Our part is to allow him to do what he has planned to do in each and every one of us. But to do so, you've got to take that rope and you've got to pull the sail up. When you do that, my life, your life will catch the wind. The wind that is enabled to move us and take us not just places, but move us and change us from within. And And that is an ongoing process. You've got to keep raising the sail because there's a a natural tendency to want to let it drop, to just let things be. I just want to let things be as they are. And the question is, am I going to keep yielding to God and and keep pulling the sail into place so that his spirit can blow and catch those sails? Or am I just going to sit there and drift? Because the rope is in my hands. It's in your hand, your hand. You decide whether you'll pull that rope and you'll let God do his work in you or not. Sovereign God has determined things in that way. Will will you yield to him? Will you go on yielding to him? And if you do go on, if I go on yielding to him, then I will become like Simeon. You will become like Anna people that God shines through and lives through. Only God can transform. Only we can yield. Okay, so how do we grow? Just two things, but they're really important. There's many other things that we could say, but first of all, we grow in relationship, and we grow in relationship to the Father. Jesus, Jesus, couldn't understand why they, why they were surprised to find him there. For him, it was the most natural place in the world to be, in my father's house, thinking, fi- trying to seek and find out more about his father and the way his father was at work. That was natural for him. And th- in Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus, we are born again into a relationship with God, the Father. God, the Father. And we see that, we could look at lots of things, couldn't we? Particularly in John's Gospel, about Jesus and his relationship with the Father. He loved the Father. The Father, he didn't do anything without the Father. The Father loved him. This is my son. Listen to him. My son whom I love. He grew in relationship with his father. Here's the question. Do I see, do you see God as your father? And being good evangelical Christians, we'd all say, yes. But do I really? You see, many of us can so easily have distorted images of God, our Father. 
often to do with our own images of our own fathers uh, and, and the way that, particularly in those early years of our life, So what is your image of God? I'm not talking about what you profess. I'm talking about what's real. I'm talking about now, not what you think about when you're in church. I'm thinking about what you're like when you're at home and you're seeking to have your devotions. And you're thinking about God. And you're thinking about maybe that things have not been right in your life. And you're thinking about, you know, that you don't feel right with God. Is God your father at that point? And if so, what sort of father is he? Is he the father that's a disciplinarian, that is a hard taskmaster, and he's pointing out your faults, and you just cannot get anywhere close? Or is he the father that, knowing that you've failed, reaches down, grabs hold of you, loves you, Because you see, unless we know that God is our Father, a Father who is for us, absolutely, 100%, completely for us, a Father who loves us more than we can ever understand, unless we know that we cannot begin to grow, we will not grow. Because we'll be trying to do things, we'll be trying to please Him, we'll be trying to get things right, and we won't. We'll keep failing, and it's, oh, it's all such a mess. But if we know that even when we do that, there's a guy, there's a father in heaven who wants to grab my hand, hold my hand, tell me that he loves me, tell me that he's there for me, tell me that he'll do what I need him to do, then things can be different. I can grow in that relationship. But we need to know God as our father. I had a good dad. I have such a privilege. He was not perfect. But I had a good dad. And I know He's passed on many years ago. I knew my dad loved me. I knew my dad loved me even when I was bad. Because he did. I saw it. Time and time again. I knew my dad would not let me down. I knew my dad would stick with me. I knew my dad wanted the best for me. And that was just my dad. And he wasn't perfect. Not everyone has had the privilege of that, and I know, and for some of us, these things are more difficult than it would be for me, than it is for me. But my dad was not a patch on this father. My dad was not a patch on the father in heaven who loves me, even though I can't see him and be with him in the same way. God is on our side. He's a God of grace, God of undeserved favor. He's for us and not against us. We've been saved by grace, so let's not live under the law. We could look at passages, couldn't we, in Romans and Galatians. Let's not live under the law. The law is to point out our weaknesses. It has a role, but we don't live under law. We live under grace. We live under the grace of a Father God who loves us. And if we don't know that, we won't truly be able to grow. Secondly, we grow in wisdom. I'm going to read, I'm going to read the verse 12 verses of Proverbs 12. Perhaps I'll do that in Proverbs 3, verses 1 to 12. I'll do that this evening. It's a great passage. We'll look at it then. We've got not time now. But at the end of that passage, in verse 
12, it says, or 13, I think that might be, blessed is the man who finds wisdom. We grow in wisdom. Jesus grew in wisdom. How do we gain that wisdom? Where do we find it? Just been reading a book um, that was recommended by Martin Irwin when he came to speak at Life Matters six months ago. I've finally got round to reading that. One of the big pile of books that I've been bought, often by recommendation, and eventually get round to reading. In this book by Wayne Cadero called The Divine Mentor, he talks about two instructors in life. There's the instructor of wisdom, and there's the instructor of consequences. Wisdom is God's way. And consequences is not God's way. <laughs> Basically, the difference. Both of, you, both of them can teach you. You can learn by both of these things. But they're very different teachers. And the choice is, and it is a choice, which one do you want to teach you? Do you want to be taught by wisdom and grow in wisdom or do you want to learn by consequences? You see, both of them have a, have a cost. Wisdom, to gain wisdom, has an upfront cost. And there's no, it, we're not, not, no, no point kidding ourselves, it has a cost. Because that, to gain that wisdom, will require discipline, consistency, and above all, it will require time. And time is precious. Consequences also have a cost. None of it is up front. It's all back-end stuff. The consequences, though, are big. The cost is big. The cost can be far greater than we imagine to ourselves and to other people. Consequences is a hard teacher, a hard master. And we've all learned things the hard way through consequences. We could all tell stories about that. Wisdom teaches you the lesson before you make the mistakes. He describes it in his book. Wisdom is like the, is like the, sh is like the fence that's put along the cl cliff top to stop you falling over. Consequences is what, is what scrapes you up at the bottom when you've fallen over the cliff and deposits you in hospital and you're in a mess and you wished you hadn't walked close to the edge of the cliff. Who will be your teacher? God longs for you to grow in wisdom. He doesn't want you to learn the hard way. God teaches us in many ways. He teaches us in many ways through his spirit. But one is fundamental to all. And it's here. God teaches us by his spirit through his word. We have here, I have in my hands the most valuable book in the whole of human history. A book that some people recognize its value because they gave their lives for it. And there's people today who give their lives to get a copy of this. Because this is God's word. And this is what God's spirit uses to teach us wisdom. We don't always realize it's happening. 
Sometimes we read it and we don't think to get anything from it. Sometimes it's hard work. But if you want to grow in wisdom, if you choose to grow in wisdom, you have to choose to give the time and the discipline to reading this book. There is no easy way. You cannot just be zapped. God does zap us. God gives us great experiences some of the time. And we should be thankful for them. But if you want to grow, if I want to grow in wisdom, then I've got to take this book seriously. And I've got to start reading it. I've got to read it regularly. I've got to read it daily. I've got to give it time. I've got to read it prayerfully, saying to me, God, what are you teaching me today? And he does. And he will. In my reading last week, here we close. Sorry, time really has gone. I've gone on. In my reading last week, God spoke to me. Here's a reading. It's, a, it's an example. I was reading the story of Martha and Mary in Luke chapter... It doesn't matter. It's in Luke's Gospel somewhere. You can look it up. You know it well. And you know the story, don't you? Martha, Jesus comes to their home. Great occasion. Jesus, Jesus is here. And Martha and Mary are no doubt all excited and there's lots of preparations to do. And yet when Jesus arrives... Mary goes and sits at, at, at Jesus' feet. She's in there, very unusual for a woman. And Martha's in the kitchen, working her socks off. And Martha, understandably, I'm, I'm in with Martha here, she says, Jesus, why is it, why is it that Mary's sitting in here while I'm doing all the work out there in the kitchen? Tell her to come. Tell her to get, get, off, get off her butt and come and help me. And Jesus says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, you're busy and busy and you need to, be, and, and there is stuff to be done. I'm not going to do that because only one thing is necessary. And Mary's got it. Only one. There's, lots of, there's, some, there's a lot of stuff in life that's not any, completely trivia. There's some stuff in life that is important. And Jesus says here, there's one thing in life that is absolutely essential. Only one. Only one thing is necessary. And that is that Mary has this relationship with me whereby she listens to me. I can talk to her. I can instruct her. Which God does to us through his word. And if we're too busy, if we're too busy... Well, you know the rest. You're too busy. You are too busy. Because you're missing the one thing that Jesus Christ said is essential. Essential. If you want to grow. If you want to grow to be the people like Simeon and Anna, you need to engage with this. No shortcuts. But God will use it by his Spirit to make us like Jesus. Slowly, surely, definitely. Let's just be quiet for a moment, shall we? And then we sing our final song. Father, you ask us, will we yield to you? 
will we submit to you as a father who loves us and who wants the very best for us will we give ourselves to you and if we want to grow in that wisdom that you have for us will we commit ourselves father to using the way that you one of the key ways that you've given us to do that to read your word and to ask you to speak to us through it. Lord, help us to say yes to those two questions. For your glory in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing our final hymn together. <clears throat>